This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our latest show, really our first baseball-centric podcast of the 2023 campaign. Now, on the show today, you're going to hear from three individuals in addition to myself. We'll chat with General Manager Peter Bendix a little bit about why this has been somewhat of a slow offseason for the Rays and perhaps what's to come. We'll break it down with Rays broadcaster Andy Freed, and we'll do a listener mailbag as Becca Carney will be alongside. We start, though, with the general manager of the Rays, Peter Bendix, and I first asked Peter a little bit about where he feels the squad is from a 40-man standpoint with about four weeks to go before the beginning of spring training. We feel very confident with the group that we have right now. We have a lot of young talent, a lot of talent that has both been in the big leagues and is on the cusp of the big leagues, a lot of talent that has had maybe ups and downs over the course of their career, but they're players that we really believe in. And some of those players were a little bit hurt last year. Some of them were maybe getting to the big leagues for the first time, experiencing the ups and downs of that. But we think that they're going to be a lot better for the experiences that they have. And our 40-man roster, top to bottom, has as much talent as I think it's had in, in a long time. I know at the end of last year, Eric talked about the importance of trying to make adding offense a priority. To this point, you guys have not been able to do that. Why would you say are the reasons, at least to this point, that it hasn't been accomplished? It's hard to pinpoint an exact reason. We have engaged in a lot of different discussions for players that we think could help our offense or just help our club generally. And it's difficult to get to the finish line on trades. It's difficult to get to the finish line on free agency. And we're always trying to remain disciplined while being aggressive at the same time. And that worked for us with Zach Eflin, not necessarily a a case where we set out to sign a starting pitcher at the beginning of the season, but things came together in such a way with Zach that it lined up when we were able to close the deal. We had several other instances where things maybe looked like it was going to come together and it didn't for a number of different reasons. And we haven't been able to add that offensive piece. But at the end of the day, we still believe we have a very strong team on both sides of the ball. There's certainly um, not most of the free agents have signed to this point. So is it more likely if something does materialize before either spring training or open day that it's on the trade market or the waiver wire? That's fair to say. There's not a ton of free agents remaining. Uh, So by definition, I think it is more likely that something would happen via a trade. And we're always on the lookout. And historically, January has been a busier period for trades. So we'll see how this January plays out. To this point, has it been quiet on the trade front? We haven't seen a lot of major league teams make a whole lot of deals. I mean, I can think of just a couple of major significance, let's say even since the start of the offseason. It's been more quiet than I would have guessed. Um, There's a number of different possible reasons for that, and things could change at any point. But it certainly feels like in past years, there's been a lot more trade activity, both discussions and actual trades across the league than we've seen this year. 
You mentioned the fact that there are, in essence, a lot of guys who could have bounce back years who are young players and guys who could have breakout years who haven't had that, who are young players too, that you believe in a great deal. Who are some guys where you've monitored them during the offseason and been pleased with their program, what they're doing, how they're growing? And give us a feel for that because you guys are having uh, contact where you couldn't last year because of the lockout. Yeah, being able to stay in touch with our players and understand what they're doing and just stay stay connected to them in the offseason is, is very important, especially for young players. Young players who might have gotten to the big leagues for the first time last year and are experiencing their first offseason after that, having gotten the feedback that is provided when you get to the big leagues and struggle. And that feedback, how you handle that feedback, what you do with it, often dictates the rest of, of your career. Most guys that are good are able to make those adjustments, and baseball is a game of adjustment. It's a cliche that is really true, and we'll see what kind of adjustments some of our players have made, and the offseason is really the best time to do that. So I think we're, we're hopeful, we're optimistic about a number of our young players, and we have to remember, and it's something that we tell ourselves frequently, it's not always a linear path to success. It's very unusual for a player to get to the big leagues and become an established star without any kind of adversity. And that adversity is something that you have to work through oftentimes to really get to that level. We had several players who had to work through it at the same time last year, so we think they'll be better off for it. Last year, you had a couple of players in Randy Rosarain and Yandy Diaz, who I would say had solid seasons. If you looked at their numbers at the end of the year, they were probably as productive or maybe even a little bit more than you would have anticipated. But you had three players who, for various reasons, missed a lot of time due to injury. Manuel Margot, um, Brandon Lau, and Wander Franco. How are all three of them doing this offseason, and how much pressure can they take off some of the young players you mentioned if they're able to stay healthy for a full year. They're all doing great. We expect them to be fully healthy for the regular season and expect them to be able to return to the the levels that they were playing at before. And I, I agree with you. I think being able to have those players in the lineup more consistently will absolutely take some of the pressure off of our younger players. I think it's a confluence of things that happened last year that left our lineup often having six or seven guys who might have been rookies or, or second-year players. And that's a really difficult spot to put those, those players in when there's nowhere to hide. There's no one to, to really pick them up if they're struggling in the lineup. And I think that having six of those guys, seven of those guys in the lineup at once is, is a lot to ask each of them individually. So hopefully having Brandon back, having Wander have a full, hopefully healthy season, having Margot back, those are players that we think are, are really talented guys that can help anchor a lineup. And, and I th- would think that a full year, you know, you add, I mentioned Yandi, I mentioned Randy, but a full year of Jose Siri now within the organization versus getting to know him may be helpful for him, may be helpful for you guys too. Absolutely. Jose is a dynamic, fun-to-watch player. He's as good in center field as, as anybody, and I think that's really saying something considering the man that he's replacing was perhaps the best center fielder of his generation in Kevin Kiermeyer. And Jose Siri is is fantastic out there as well and he's dynamic we've seen him on the bases we've seen him in the box the type of player that he is the passion that he plays with he can carry a team at times and we're excited to have that for a full season you mentioned it would be great if via trade or free agency you could add a bat does that still market dependent though I mean if there's an opportunity not that you want to add the goal is to add 
to the ball club if there's a chance to add pitching or add defense? Does that basically determine by the market itself? I think so. We're, we're trying to put together the best team that we can. And we like to say you only have to win by one, right? And it's fully acknowledged that our pitching last year was ahead of our offense, and it's easier to improve the offense in theory than it is in pitching. But it doesn't mean we're going to walk by an opportunity to improve our pitching or improve other areas of our team that might have been strengths more so because there's nothing wrong with making a strength stronger. And this is also a unique year. A, because you guys are going to have a kind of a split spring training with Orlando and St. Pete on the big league side, um, but also it's a WBC year. How do those challenges impact spring training and just the preparation for the season as you guys are now four weeks away from spring training starting? It'll be a different experience, certainly spending a couple of weeks in Orlando and then having a month uh, where we're playing our home games out of the trop. I think that's going to be something that we haven't experienced before, but we have a resilient group. And over the last few years between the COVID season and the lockout and all of that, we've experienced, everybody has experienced a lot of challenges, a lot of things that you really just need to adapt. And I think we've shown the ability to adapt to that. And this year will be no different. And the WBC, do you know yet how many guys are definitely participating in the WBC? Um, any guys that are for sure? I don't believe the the rosters have been set yet, no. Um, because I'm guessing that for there's kind of that balance. You're excited for the player, but you also want to make sure that they're healthy when, when the games count for the race, too. Absolutely. And there's something really to be said for an event like that, in addition to it being an interesting and exciting event that, frankly, I'm excited to watch as a fan. It's also the case that the more opportunities guys have to play in important games – the better it is for their development. And those games are going to be important to each team, to each player, to each country. Those are going to be meaningful games, especially for the teams that make it deeper. And meaningful games lead to pressure, and pressure leads to better development. Well, hopefully that development continues. Best of luck on the whether it's the trade or, or waiver uh, efforts, and uh, we appreciate a few minutes on the podcast. Thank you, Neil. Well, great to chat with Peter Bendix about the Rays uh, from a baseball operations side. And joining me now, Andy Freed. Andy, I know we've uh, talked off air a fair amount. Happy New Year. And uh, we're closing in on at least the start of spring training. Well, Peter's a tough act to follow, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. And Happy New Year to you. And I know for baseball fans out there, and, and you're one, and obviously I am too. And Dave, once the New Year hits, it starts to feel like the countdown is on. And we are, what, just a little over a month, five, six weeks or so from these guys getting together in Orlando and definitely excited about it. Well, you brought up Orlando. We really haven't talked about that too. It was, you know, official near the end of the calendar year that the Rays are going to be in Orlando for the first two weeks on the major league side. And for the minor league guys uh, throughout, I guess it's a game of adaptation and we've had a game of adjustments. We've had to adjust the last now four years with the pandemic and the lockout. So I guess 2023 will be no different from that regard. And at least we're used to it. Yeah. I, you know, first things first, I mean, and I know I speak for you as well too. I'll just say that, you know, poor Charlotte, I feel so terribly. We all do about what's happened uh, in that area with the hurricane and, you know, you go down there every year and it really does become your home away from home uh, for spring training. It's been a pretty good tenure there since 2009. You know, the Rays got down there when they were American League champions and uh, they've won two pennants during that time. And spring training has always been the place to kick that off uh, in Port Charlotte. So um, first and foremost, you hope that the people down there are recovering 
and then a ballpark can hopefully be figured out, uh, you know, fixing it, whatever needs to be done for, for 2024. But uh, I, I am excited about the Orlando thing. I, maybe a change of scenery could be something interesting. I mean, th- it's out of a need, you know, more than anything else, because spring training is more than just uh, getting together and playing some somewhat meaningless games in terms of the result uh, against other teams. It really does lay the groundwork for the season. And I think this Rays team has some groundwork to be laid. I, mm-hmm. I think they've got to get better defensively. I think they've got to get better base running wise. And when we talked to Kevin Cash about that stuff uh, during last season, when it became a glaring part of this team, in particular base running, uh, th- that's the sort of stuff that really gets, I don't want to say set in stone, but at least the, the template for it and almost set in stone in spring training. So I, it's hard to make those adjustments during the year. The best teams probably do. Uh, but it, the spring training is way more important than just kind of hanging out under the sun and, uh, you know, and, and just preparing. And as we move closer to the start of spring training, it's looking more and more like there's not going to be a major remake. Um, you know, most of the free agents have signed. Uh, the trade market seems to be very, very slow. So for those reasons, we're really looking at young players having to be, as Dave likes to say, a year older and a year better. Well, I, I, more than anything, and that is right, but more than anything, the races have to get healthy. I mean, there really wasn't that much of a difference in personnel from 2021 to 2022 in terms of who was on the roster. It was who got hurt. You know, they, they didn't have Nelson Cruz for 2022, and he certainly added a piece in 2021, but they had all the other key players in place. But when Margot gets hurt at the hottest point, by the way, of his mm-hmm. season out on that West Coast trip when he was carrying the offense, uh, when Brandon Lau has back troubles, and my big fear is that it would be something that affects him more long-term. We're all hoping not, that this was a short-term thing. Uh, and Wander Franco has uh, a bit of a step back during the year, in large part because of injury. That is three monster pieces. And let's not forget, too, the Rays were really high on Josh Lowe coming into last season, and that didn't work out in any way. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Those are four large pieces that were out of this offense. You know, Yandy Diaz had a really good year. It gets masked a little bit because he was one of the only ones. Randy was up and down. Uh, They didn't get a whole lot out of the catcher's position. Uh, But, you know, bottom line, I think this team can hit better. I was hoping that they could add perhaps the perfect piece, a left-handed hitting, good defensive, uh, and and with some power first baseman that hasn't happened yet. It just means that they're probably going to have to lean on some of the people that are already there. Yeah, and and it may have just been a perfect storm of events that led to it not happening uh, for this year, that there wasn't what we would call a plethora of guys out there to choose from for you know improving the first base defense, as you mentioned. There wasn't a whole lot of left-handed bats, and because it's the first year of a collective bargaining agreement, um, let's be frank, the market was up for free agents which doesn't necessarily play well into what the Rays try and do. In fact, they were most aggressive with Zach Eflin. They got him, but they weren't able to get maybe some of their other targets that they wanted. Long-term, it may not work out so well for some of the teams that did sign uh, some of those players to what now is suddenly a commonplace 11-year deal. (laughs) That these, Mm -hmm. You know, you and I remember times when a three-year deal seemed like it was a long-term deal or a five-year, 11-year deals, they're all over the league now. And some of those teams may live to regret those. The Rays don't ever seem to make those long-term mistakes, which is good. So in the big picture, perhaps it's something that could be a good thing from the Rays' standpoint. But 
it's disappointing that they probably just got out outspent by some of the other teams in the free agent market. That being said, though, there's always the trade option. And the one thing that has been in my mind ever since towards maybe August of last year is the idea of, of moving loud to first base because he's a good defender, but it might be less taxing on him, especially if he doesn't have to turn double plays and, uh, and doesn't really have to go so far range wise. Maybe that could be easier on his body because they need his bat as much as anything else. I think he could be a good first baseman. And then that loosens things up in the middle infield to see more of walls than some of the other middle infield types that the Rays have. Uh, I, I, perhaps that could be an answer that, that may end up being presented to the Rays. It feels a bit disappointing now that they didn't get some of the, I was big on Brandon Belt. I thought he seemed mm-hmm. like a really good fit, but the Blue Jays are what purportedly playing 9.3. That seems like a lot for a guy that's been declining and is 35 years old. I thought on a one-year deal, that could have been an interesting situation, but it didn't work out. Uh, but something about that loud of, loud of first base is my first question to Kevin Cash and Eric Neander come spring training beginning. It's a good question. And look, th- that's an option, an option of moving Yandy to first base and having Isak Paredes playing more third and having Taylor Walls be that Joey Wendell super utility type as he was supposed to be at the beginning of last year. That's another option too. The Rays certainly will have options and flexibility with their roster and there are a lot of guys who i look at the roster and say he's either a bounce back candidate or a breakthrough candidate and and a big question is i agree with you health of the big guys brandon lau wander franco randy rosarena but it's also how many of those young guys which one of the young guys break through you don't need all of them to you just need some of them you look at the years where the rays got good it wasn't so much because of the a free agent signing. You know, there might've been some big trades, you know, LA, Jason Bartlett, Matt Garza comes to mind. Uh, Glass now certainly in 18 comes to mind as well. Uh, but it was that the current core got better. That was the key to turning the page in 07 to 08 and turning the page from uh, during that season in 18 to 19 to 20 and winning the pennant. The, the main guys got to be better, more experienced players. And You know, let's face it, I mean, not to be Debbie Downer, the Rays made the playoffs last year because there was an extra playoff spot, which is fine. That's not to diminish it. Uh, But in many other years, that would not have been a playoff team. Uh, But I can certainly envision the groundwork coming for this team getting better already from within. I'm curious about Curtis Mead. I'm curious about Kyle Manzardo. I'm curious about Taj Bradley. I think we all are, and I hope to get a chance to see them if not with a big league club in spring training, then maybe on a backfield or two, because those three guys sound very important in particular, those first two, because their reputations are that they're, they're really putting together some solid bats. And that that's what I think is going to care. The pitching wise, not that I don't worry about it, but the Rays are so good at developing pitching. I want to see this team score some more runs and it may just have to come from within. And, and, and really part of the key to this may be can Josh Lowe, maybe not be quite as key a player as the Rays thought he might be last year but maybe somewhere in between, at least for this year. Yeah, and we saw with Nate Lowe, it took him a while to kind of figure it out at the at the major league level. And you mentioned that 21 to 22, really there wasn't a whole lot of change other than health in terms of the player personnel. And the Rays dropped off more than 200 runs from the year prior. And if they're in the middle, if, they're, if they gain 100 of those back, um, they won't be an elite team from an offensive standpoint, but they will be a very good team. And if they're pitching in defense and the run prevention is where we think it'll be, it'll be an elite team record wise. Then 
You know, I, I always feel strange putting too much pressure on one player. But look, he's been built for this since he was a teenager. A lot of it's going to come down to Wander Franco. Uh, it, it, he's going to have to be the key piece, more than Randy, more than Yandy, more than Margot, maybe not more than the pitching, but certainly probably as he's the centerpiece player. And the fact that the Rays gave him the long-term deal when they did uh, tells you all you need to know about the confidence and, frankly, the trust that the Rays have that he's going to continue to take the next step. I think there were times last year that some of his amazing skill set worked against him. I think the fact that he's such a good contact hitter had him chasing pitches out of the zone and putting them in play when maybe some of the key for Wander could be to try easier a little bit and maybe recognize what is out of the strike zone and not put that ball in play. Get yourself into a better count, then that pitcher has to come to you. Uh, That's not a sharp criticism on Wander. If anything, the guy would be like a junior or senior in college right now. So, you know, I think it's just one of the next steps for him. But to me, it just has to come down to an Eric and Peter we trust. And if they think, uh, high enough on Wanda that they were going to give him that long-term deal. That tells me, I mean, who do they do that with? They don't do that with anybody else, really. They did it with Evan to a degree, uh, Kazmir to a, a shorter degree, and ended up trading him. Uh, but the fact that they have that amount of faith in Wander, that I, I can't imagine them being a, a really good team without a good year from Wander. I would agree with that. And, you know, as you mentioned, the Rays made the playoffs without having one of their better years record-wise, and that also may speak to the logjam on the trade front. The fact that I look around baseball and I think, well, Detroit and Kansas City probably are non-contenders. Pittsburgh, maybe Colorado's a non-contender. There aren't many teams that you can look at, the Nationals, and say, oh, they have no chance to make the playoffs. And if five or six teams think they're out and 24 teams right now think they're in it's a lot harder to make deals it is and you know i, I think it's an interesting parallel going on in this coming the, the 25th anniversary season for the rays that two teams that i think are in similar situations are the rays and the arizona diamondbacks uh they're they're twins they were born the same day the same year and they've th- i want to spend a fair amount of time this year especially when we play arizona this season uh comparing the trajectories of those franchises arizona's won a world series Uh, They went huge free agent at the beginning. The Rays uh, had the hit show there for a little bit while. But it's been an interesting parallel between those two franchises. And I think they've almost arrived at around the same point at the same time. Good teams in really tough divisions counting on their youth. Uh, So it's just an interesting parallel to me that this might be the first time that they're kind of coming together at the same place. At the same time, the Rays may actually still be ahead of the Diamondbacks. But in terms of this being that 25th anniversary season, They've both uh, kind of come back to a similar point at the same time. Another cool storyline to keep an eye on as we get closer to spring training. Andy, before you know it, we'll be in Orlando and then seeing games for real. We look forward to it. Enjoy the the limited downtime we now have. And uh, our countdown is underway, so to speak. I'll be putting my mouse ears on and getting to the Disney complex. Looking forward to it, pal. Great stuff from Andy Freed, and nice to chat with him. And now joining us, another member of our broadcast team with our mailbag, and that's Becca Carney. How are you, Becca? I'm good. How are you, Neil? We're good and ready to go. I see you've got your questions handy, so let's see what the the listeners have brought and uh, fire away. All right, here we go. So Don wants to know where the Rays are in terms of adding more bats to the roster. 
I think that they're always trying to upgrade the roster. And I think if you go back and listen to the interview with Peter Bendix, I think certainly there's an effort there. Um, for my, why I understand the Rays were very competitive and close on a couple of left-handed bats that things just didn't work out. Either the individual was happy with, you know, going back to where he was or for whatever reason chose a different location. And on the trade market, there's not a lot of movement involving left-handed bats. And those that have been moved, like Dalton Varsho, the, the asking price in terms of, um, players in return was very, very high. And I think you can't extremely weaken one area of your ball club um, to improve another because it's it's not going to balance out. I, I think it has to be a trade that makes sense for both sides. So I think part of this is there are very few teams right now that you can say they don't have any chance of making the playoffs in 2023. I count 25 of 30 teams are competitive. I do think that makes it harder to trade. So while the Rays will look for ways to improve on the margins and in large part, I do think that a lot of their young players are just going to have to grow this year for the Rays to take the steps forward that they did in um, 2021. And Andy and I talked about that as well. Um, This team did score 200 more runs in 21 than 22 with virtually the same core players. If those core players are healthy, this team will be – I would say at least 100 runs better next this year, and that means a lot in terms of wins. For sure. All right, next question. Shibby 15 on Twitter said, the big question is when and who are we trading Evan for Evan Longoria before the postseason run? I totally understand from a fan perspective wanting an Evan Longoria back. I mean, you can strongly argue that he's the best player the franchise has had, and we're coming up on the 25th anniversary season. I totally understand it from that regard. And I understand why Evan would want to come back and why so many fans have clamored for him to be back. And as a fan, I would love to see Evan come back. But as I look at it and put on um, an evaluation hat and look at the roster, if Evan were a left-handed bat, he'd be a perfect fit. But the problem is is that if you look at the year Yandy Diaz is coming off of, and he's what, eight years younger than Evan or seven, and the year that Isak Paredes had, they're right-handed bats that play first and third. And then you've got Harold Ramirez, who's going to predominantly DH, who's also right-handed. And you've got Curtis Mead on the come, who is right-handed. So I don't know necessarily that that is a great fit for the Rays. I would prefer that they add a left-handed bat or at least – If it's a right-handed bat, it would have been one where they have pretty even splits, where they're fairly equal. Um, Again, if he were the right fit, I'd love to see Evan back, and I hope he retires as a Ray, as Carlos Pena did. Um, But let's see where we are in July. But at this point, I'd be kind of surprised if, if Evan were back in a Ray's uniform at any point this year. And I wish him well, though, in Arizona. I'm hoping that works out. All right, awesome. I guess people are probably a little nostalgic being in the 25th year and all. Um, so this one, we're sw- switching a little bit. Spring training's coming up. So who are you really excited to see and maybe possibly watch for the first time in a while um, on the field? I have not seen Kyle Manzardo up close and in person, so I'm definitely anxious to see him. I'm obviously also excited to see Curtis Mead, although in our conversation back in 
the fall after he got added to the roster. He's supposed to play two for the WBC team in, uh, from Australia. So I don't know how much we'll see him in spring training. But whatever we do see of him, I'm looking forward to. I think those two guys, and probably Taj Bradley, um, because I've talked to him on so many occasions and seen so much footage of him, but to watch him pitch in person would be pretty cool, and, and I hope he has a really good year. Definitely. I mean, I'm just excited for my first spring training. So staying on that front, uh, Greg Prescott, he wants to know, besides moving most of the Rays games this spring to the chop, plus the one that we are having in Orlando, Will the camp also move from Orlando and kind of give us like kind of an overview of how that's all working? So here's what we know to this point. The first two weeks of camp basically will be in Orlando. And then for the major league side, it'll shift um, after the first of March to Tropicana Field and the St. Pete area. For the minor leaguers, they're all going to be in Orlando, which makes it a little bit challenging probably than other years, but the last four years have been a challenge because 2020 was cut short and then we had a second spring training due to the pandemic. 21 was different because of the, or excuse me, yeah, 21 was different because of the pandemic and 22 was the lockout year where everything was different. So we'll have four straight years of different spring trainings and then hopefully in 24, we'll be back to normal. Here's the hoping. All right. So kind of pivoting, we just promote or proposed our RFP um, and showed it to the mayor. So kind of tell us a little bit about that, what you know, where fans can learn more, overview again, you know. Great. Well, you know, in on the 4th is when Heinz and the Rays presented their request for proposal to the city of St. Petersburg, along with three other groups, um, to hopefully get approval to be the uh, developer, in Heinz' case, um, to handle the... Um, the same, you know, the, the Tropicana Field site. Um, we have an entire podcast dedicated to it that we put out last week, and I hope people will go and listen to that. Uh, the mayor is supposed to decide between one of the four groups by the 30th. And once we know, we'll probably have a new podcast at that point, and hopefully things go well. Um, you know, it's an exciting proposal with a lot of components that I think folks from all sides, whether it's the baseball side, the, the fan side, the development side, the community side, will be interested in. Definitely. So make sure everyone go check that out. Um, Neil, that's all I got for you. So uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. You too. And we appreciate all the questions that people brought to us. And we hope uh, that we'll continue to get questions from you. You can obviously send them uh, at Rays Radio, at Neil Solons, however you want to interact with us, uh, you're welcome to do so. Um, you can also check out our blog, raysradio.moblogs.com. want to thank Becca, Andy Freed, and Peter Bendix for joining us on the podcast today. And don't forget, we should have another podcast, I would assume, next week. Uh, international signing is this coming weekend. So we'll be talking about the new international class of players that the Rays are bringing forth. Uh, and we'll have a whole lot more as we go. So thanks so much for being with us, and we will chat with you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 